my authority, my anchor, my correction, my strength, my armor, my truth, my shield, my joy, my delight, my sword, my hiding place, my protection, my trust, my light, my path, my bread, my water, my righteousness, my hope, my wisdom, my salvation, my peace, my compass, my guide, because ultimately the word of God points me to the one who is all of these things. for the word of God. Let me hear your hands. I debated over this, but I do feel like I want to make a couple comments about last week's message and simply say to you, most people understood where I was trying to go. Some didn't, and I've got some digital communication expressing that, so I want to make something really, really clear. It was not my intent to mock anyone personally. And if you took it that way, I apologize that that's what you heard. I don't know the individuals that I talked about. I don't know their personality or or character. And it was suggested that I should have dialogued with them privately. And here's what you have to understand. When you make public proclamation, I have the right to give a public response. And I have a responsibility to guard over the flock. That is my calling, and I will continue to do that. I wish no offense or ill will on anyone, but I will call in account those communications that begin to affect our body. And I want to remind you that the source of deception that will come against the church in the last days, according to Jesus, is not through the public media, is not through politics, through the government, or social media that the biggest threat of deception will come through the prophetic ministry in the church that becomes misaligned with God's purposes. And so we need to be aware and judge everything by the word of God. And that was my appeal last week. And if you heard something differently, I apologize, but I'm gonna continue to hold that line that we stand for truth. That's what we're about. And that's what we'll continue to be about. So kind of as a follow-up to that, not really, but kind of. It's kind of a series that's developing as we move along. I want to talk to you about words and the power of words. It's interesting to me about language and how it evolves. I mean, there are things that we talk about today that were unheard of a few years ago. And there are words that we used years ago that are no longer used today. For instance, when I was in high school, I never heard of a manny. I would have taken that as an insult. Well, you're a little manny, aren't you? But today, that simply refers to a male nanny. The word emoji is a new word for us that didn't exist before. Um, Oxford's English Dictionary, new words list in March 22, listed these words that are new in our vocabulary. Anti-aging, and I'm all for that. (laughs) Gaslighter. Hijabi, self-sabotage, siblinghood, tweakable, and vax. 
But words also die. There's a word used to be in the English language, the word wit, which meant we too. So if you were talking about a group, you would say, we had dinner together. But if you're talking about you and one other person, you would say, wit had meal together. That just doesn't sound right at all, does it? I love this word that's falling out of disuse. It's the word mubble fubbles. Isn't that a cool word? Mubble fubbles. I just like that. I'm just going to start saying that at random places. It refers, though, to a mood of depression, dejection, or melancholy. So if you saw someone that was not having a good day, how are you doing? Well, I have the mubble fubbles. I know football teams that have that same issue. Crinkum, crankum. Isn't that cool? Love that. Crinkum, crankum. What does that mean? It means something full of twists and turns, like a blacktop road in northern Missouri. It's crinkum, crankum. And if you think about how we used to write and how we write today, the opening lines of Romeo and Juliet go this way. Two households, both alike in dignity and fair Verona, where we lay our scene from ancient grudge break to new mutiny, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. Wow, that is cool. Compare that with the first line from West Side Story. Knock it off and settle down. Kind of a distinction in how words are used. That's really why we have so many translations today is language changes and there is this ongoing pursuit to make sure that the word of God stays in the hands of everyday individuals. And so Greek and Hebrew are constantly under scrutiny to make sure the language and the new translations line up to our usage today. But there is a word that never goes out of vogue. It is the word of the Lord that endures forever. We may change how we describe it, but the word of the Lord endures forever. I warned us last week of the danger when the devil tells the truth, what can happen to us when we believe the truth that is intended to enforce a lie, that we elevate the the creature above the creator, that we see the forbidden as beautiful, and that we that we forfeit our spiritual covering all falls out of that and our only safety is being anchored to the word of God. That's what will keep us secure. It protects us from error, heresy, and deception. So I want to ask you this morning, I've said this before and I'll ask you again, just how important is the word of God in your life? I read an article this morning from that incredibly theologic source called BuzzFeed. And they invited people who walked away from Christianity to respond to them about why they walked away. And not one of them really walked away over a theological um, discussion, but walked away over personal um, disappointment. 
that our Christianity seems to be wrapped all around a subjective evaluation based on our personal benefit rather than an objective commitment to the truth of what the Word of God says. And there are a lot of things that I don't know why they are the way they are, but I do know that I can anchor to the Word of God because it is the Word of the Lord that will endure forever, that the house built on sand will collapse, but the house built on the rock will stand. When we're anchored to the truths of God's word, we will be in a place of stability. And with that, I have to say to you, we need to stop now and then and say, how much does the word of God matter to us? It's not enough to carry your Bible on top of other books. You need to live it out in your everyday life. What does the word of God say? So I want to challenge you in that regard a little bit this morning to a deeper commitment to knowing what the word of God says. There are so many excesses. So we'll spend some time in 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you want to turn there or open your digital device, that's where we'll spend some time. As Paul writes his second letter to his young son in the faith, Timothy, giving him words for the rest of his journey, he calls him to anchor his life to the word of God. And what you'll notice in verses 14 and 15 is, and I I need you to grab hold of this concept, the word of God is the foundation of our salvation. The word of God is the foundation of our salvation. So listen to me carefully. If you pray to prayer, that's how you enter in. But praying a prayer, dedicating your life to Jesus, is nothing more than a hope so if you don't have it anchored to the objective truths in the word of God. Why do we pray that? Why do I lead in a so-called sinner's prayer the way that I do? Because I want it anchored to Romans chapter 10. What is your salvation based on? It's based on Jesus died for your sins. It's based on he rose from the dead so that you could be justified and whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So it's not your prayer, it's your prayer of faith in what God has already declared to be true. Your salvation rests on the truths of the word of God. Is that making sense to you? So how is that word of God assimilated? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it. It is the word of God, the foundation of our salvation that relationally connects us. The context of this verse is staying stable in the faith, staying anchored to your relationship with God. We need the word of God in our lives. I was listening to some discussion recently about children's curriculum and young adult curriculum. And how many of you know that in youth ministry, we need more than a Kool-Aid coordinator. We need a discipler. And I can promise you, What happens upstairs isn't event-driven, it's discipleship-driven. How many of you know with our children in filling station that they need to do more than play a game that that 
that encourages them to have a good time, that they need to learn the word of God. How many know, and that's happening over there. And how many of you know that even in promised land, that while children cannot at that age cognitively respond, they can emotionally respond to what's happening around them, and that will happen when they hear and learn the word of God. From the beginning until the graduation day, we're trying to instill that, but here's the crux of the matter that's, that's being discussed in kids' ministry. It's not enough to get them to memorize a verse. You have to get them to interact with the verse. It's got to become personal. That's why even in teen Bible quiz, there's a devotional element. It's not just about memorizing the text. Now, I'll tell you, if you want to interact with the text, you need to get it down inside you. It needs to become part of you. But the reality is the Word of God and interacting with the Word of God is essential to our salvation. It's not something you read once and walk away from. It's what your entire spiritual life rests upon. What does the Word say so then every spiritual experience I have should be measured by what does the word say we need the word of God in our lives he also says you know those from whom you've learned it's that relational connection around the word of God you can't separate that this Christian faith was not designed for you to get a Bible, go sit in a cave and study it and come out a spiritual giant. You are supposed to know those that are teaching you. In other words, interacting with the word of God is directly related to community within the body of Christ. We are supposed to do this together and know those who are teaching us. That's the power of community groups. That's the power of relationship. I've told this story just because it makes me laugh. And I appreciate, don't misunderstand me, I appreciate the Bible teachers that are out there on air, digitally. We have such a smorgasbord of material out there that you can find good and bad everywhere and you need to be discerning. But a man years ago that pastored in the shadow of the prayer tower in Oral Roberts University would send half her tithe to Oral Roberts on television and half her tithe to the local church. She was going to a church that was about a, two hours away from, um, uh, from, from Tulsa, and she had to go to the hospital, and she was going to ORU for that work to be done, and asked her pastor if he would drive her, and he said yes, so he drove an hour, stopped. In those days, they had phone booths primary purpose of phone booths was so Superman could change his clothes. <laughs> Said, here, call Oral. What do you mean call Oral Roberts? Well, half your tithe goes here, half your tithe goes to him. I think it's only fair that he drive the last hour and come get you. Now, how many know that wasn't going to work? No fault to Oral Roberts. But the reality is, it's supposed to be done in community, not long distance. I was in a, listening to a president of Vanguard University, and I posted this on Facebook, and he said that, that spiritual growth is, um, 2D, or is 3D and analog, not 2D and digital. It's to be lived out. It's to be experienced. Someone are hearing me. You can't separate that. 
We have tried to provide an avenue for people to get in the kingdom uh, in ministry through what's called Brian School of the Bible. I'm glad for that. Overseas, I'm glad for it in the U.S. It's a correspondence training, but it was never intended in America for you to get your book and your course and study alone and think you're equipped for even Christian experience because you know those that have taught you. It's a relational. Is anyone hearing me this morning that your foundation in the Word of God, according to the Apostle Paul, is supposed to be lived out in a community context with one another. Now, I know it was different then. They didn't have the New Testament, so it had to be taught to them. But the principle is still true. It's intended to be received and lived in community, that we experience it together. And also, if the Word of God is the foundation of your salvation, the value of early indoctrination in the Scriptures is paramount. Verse 15, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. Do you know what I think the great, one of the great weaknesses of the evangelical church is? Now walk with me a little bit. How many are still with me so far? Okay, I got seven. That's enough. We have, watch, just watch with me for a minute. I grew up as an evangelical and we felt superior to liturgical churches because we didn't tell God how to run the service. We weren't going to have a liturgy. We're just letting God, God run it. How many know what I'm talking about? You know what happens over time? We have a liturgy that nobody knows about. We have the same thing. We're just arrogantly trying to hide it. But in all of that discussion about the liturgy, there is something that liturgical churches have that the evangelical church has walked away to its own detriment. And that's called catechism. We've walked away from catechism because we understand that learning by itself won't put you in the kingdom. But I will tell you what I've discovered. Ignorance will never put you in the kingdom. And while we do try to have a sort of catechism here, JBQ, um, Foundations of Faith for Our Kids, there has to be instilled in them in the early days the foundation of faith. Why do we do baby dedication? Because we want a child from the time it's born until that child graduates from high school and beyond to have instilled in them the values that we hold important and priority from the time that they're little and one of the cultural shifts that's happening that really concerns me is an emphasis on how to think. Well, if you haven't taught people what to think, how to think is going to destroy them. From a child, they need to be catechized. They need to be taught the truths of Scripture. And Timothy's strength was that his mother and his grandmother poured into him from the time that he was an infant the truths of God's word. In 1 Timothy, Paul says, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. So this foundation of salvation is to be experienced in community from the time that you're a child. So can I meddle for a little bit? I don't hear this hear very much but I've heard people say well 
I'm going to let my children choose their faith. Okay? Do you want to let them choose their supper? Do you want to let them choose um, their get up and bedtime? Do you want to let them choose what they watch? Just hand them a bottle of strychnine and let them choose. It's not your job to let them choose. It's your job to equip children to make right choices. And that happens in community from an early age. Another discovery that I came across years ago, that the transfer of faith from a senior in high school to a student in college maintaining their faith can be directly related to the number of adults that they know in the church by first name. And the more adults they know by name, the more likely because from a child it's instilled in them in the context of community and it becomes not a doctrinal understanding, but it envelopes every part of our lives. So I'm asking you, is your salvation something you do on Sunday or something that permeates every part of your life. Hello? Because what he wraps up that thought with is in verse 15. You have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It requires wisdom to receive salvation. It requires a wisdom that you do not possess. That's why the psalmist said, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It doesn't require wisdom to unbelieve or disbelieve. It requires wisdom to have faith in salvation that is beyond your ability to believe. That's why the word of God, as it is shared with you and with unbelievers, will shape you and give you the wisdom that you need to believe there is a God. He had a son who died on the cross and rose from the dead. It is the foolishness of God that is wiser than the wisdom of men. And it's the wisdom of men that is the foolishness of God. We need the scripture to make us wise enough in order to get saved. Because you can't do it on your own. The word makes you wise to your new life in Christ. It helps you grow in your relationship to God. Without the word of God, you cannot have faith to believe. When I was in college, we were taught the Romans road of salvation. Everything we did about sharing the gospel with people was anchored to the word of God. And whatever illustration you use, it has to be anchored to the word of God. And we'd start off with Romans uh, uh, 3, 10, for uh, all have sinned and come, or there's none righteous, no, not one. And 323, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And on and on it would go through Romans because we wanted the presentation of the gospel to be anchored to the word of God so that they're not making an emotional response, but rather they're understanding the word of God. What happens when you speak the word of God into their life? You're speaking the wisdom of God. And when the wisdom of God gets into their life, it begins to change them and will impart to them a level of wisdom that will enable them to receive the promise and blessings of God. We also did um, street ministry when I was in Bible college. And if you ever do street ministry, it's not ministering to the street, it's ministering to people on the street. And it was hilarious. I mean, we'd go out 
and walk the square, that is square, and find somebody to witness to. And I thought that the best place to camp out, because I was talking to people on the square, could I talk with you about Jesus, ask you some questions? Nope, nope, and away they'd go. So I decided to camp out just outside the door of the local bar. I mean, why not? Go to the devil's doorstep and let's just see what happens. And they'd come out the door and this guy came out for a little bit and he stopped and I said, could I talk with you for a few minutes? And he was obviously an international, not from town. I mean, I, I would have get just a number of things gave that away. And, and he said, yes. And I said, would it be all right for, you, for me to talk to you a little bit about Jesus? And he said, yes. Well, this is great. I haven't had two yeses in a row the entire night I've been out here. So I said, if you, would you like to know when you die that you're going to heaven? Yes. So I said, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? Yes. Do you believe that he rose from the dead? Yes. Could I lead you in a prayer? Yes. All right. So I led him in the sinner's prayer. Repeat after me. After everything I said, he said, yes. This is amazing. It's amazing. So I said, would you like to join us at church in the morning? And he said, yes. Would you like me to pick you up? Yes. Wow. I said, what's your address? And he said, yes. No, what's your address? Yes. I was talking to a drunk international who only knew one word in English, and that was yes. Other than the foolishness of my approach, it demonstrates that there has to be a wisdom. There has to be an understanding of the articulation of the truth. And that comes how? Listen, not by your wisdom, not by your abilities, not by your power, but by the word of God that makes us wise to salvation. And when people say they can't understand it, what do you do? You keep telling them, you keep sharing it. This is what God said, this is what God said. And how are you gonna know that? Only when you've interacted with it and you get it on the inside of you and you can recite it back so the Holy Spirit can pull it up out of you. We had a teen Bible quiz uh, yesterday, and it's, it's the requirement of teen Bible quiz that you pray before each match. Well, I had two teams that never left my room for four rounds. That's all there were in that division. And so we prayed before each match, and I just love to listen to them pray because it is so hilarious. Lord, help us not get any questions wrong. God, help us have no negative points. So after a couple times, I couldn't help myself. You know me, right? I can't. I can't listen to this all day. So I finally said, you know, I appreciate the sincerity of your prayer, but you have way more to do with that than Jesus does. Because he can't answer that prayer if you've not prepared. He's not going to give it to you supernaturally. Hello? How many of you in school ever prayed for an A and you had not studied? I never prayed for an A. I prayed for the rapture. <laughs> oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. 
Because there has to be something put on the inside of you. And so if your foundation of salvation is the word of God and you really believe that, then this has to become a passion of yours, a hunger of yours, that you can't live a day without getting some nourishment upon which your salvation rests. It's the foundation of our salvation. Second, the word of God is the fuel of our spiritual growth. It's the foundation of our salvation. It is the fuel of our spiritual growth. The word of God, it tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16, is God breathed. We talked about that on Wednesday night in our series through the fundamental truths, this study in systematic theology. And let me, let me read to you the preamble of our doctrinal statement in the Assumptions of God. This is what we declare at the beginning. The Bible is our all-sufficient rule of faith and practice. That's who we are. That's what we believe. Let me read that again. It is our all-sufficient rule of faith and practice. Every one of those words is packed with truth. The Bible is our all-sufficient, nothing else is needed, rule, which means it is the authority of our faith, what we believe, and our practice, how we behave. This is the foundation. And our first fundamental truth is the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, are verbally inspired of God and are the revelation of God to man, the infallible authoritative rule of faith and conduct is rolled into that first one, that everything is about the scriptures. Now, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna press you a little bit here. The word inspired, we believe that the word of God is inspired. And we use that word in so many ways that, that trivialize its Greek meaning. I can get inspired at a sunrise. I can get inspired at the Grand Canyon. I can get inspired at a pecan pie. I can get inspired at a good cup of coffee. That's not what this word means. It means it was God breathed. Now watch this. It means that when they spoke, they were speaking out what God breathed in them. So they were writing out the breath of God. I'm telling you, that when you spend time in the word of God, you are going to experience the breath of God. In the Garden of Eden, we received the breath of life. The devil has tried to take that away and mankind has fallen. How do you reclaim that breath of God? By reading the word of God. It's not just words that have now become stagnant and dead, that the breath of God made dust and clay to come alive and walk in the garden and the word of God has that same breath of God today and that same power today. It makes dead men live. The gospel is not about making bad men good. It's about making dead men live and the word of God is the breath of God that empowers that and makes that happen. It's God breathed. It's his breath. It carries his power. It's a book with a supernatural anointing from God. I've heard people say, pray, preachers pray over the years. God, 
anoint your word today. You don't have to pray that. God will never have to anoint his word because his, his word is the basis and carries his anointing. It'd be better to pray, God, let me do no damage when I preach to the anointing that's already attached to your word. It carries his anointing. And the Bible says that all scripture is profitable, and this is a pet peeve of mine. It's either all true or it isn't. It's all profitable in different ways, in different manners, in different styles. But please, 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 don't annoy me by saying, well, that doesn't apply today. You just called the Apostle Paul a liar because he said it is all profitable. All profitable. So when you don't understand it and it doesn't make sense, that doesn't mean it's not profitable. It means, <laughs> it means you're ignorant. Ignorant isn't stupid. Ignorant means unlearned. It means there's an area that you don't understand yet. Don't discount it because you don't understand it. Set it aside and operate where you do understand and pray for greater understanding. It is all profitable. And I want to take a minute to just describe how profitable it is. And this is the test whether or not the word of God is really valuable to you. Okay, you ready? This is how to tell if the word of God is really valuable to you. Because Paul says to Timothy, it's all God breathed and here is what it will do the word of God is profitable for doctrine the formal expression of what we believe so I'd ask you this if you value the word of God how many are with me right now if you value the word of God your doctrine will be built on what is profitable this book it won't be built on my sermon. It won't be built on somebody else's video. It won't be built on something you read on the internet. It will be built on the word of God. So when your doctrine is built outside the word of God, you don't value this book. You've put something above it, alongside it. You've made something equal to it. But nothing, nothing is going to shape my doctrine, what I believe, than the word of God. Because that's what it's profitable for. It's also profitable for reproof. Now, we use the word reproof as a word meaning correction, which it really isn't. This Greek word is a word that means a proof by which a thing is proved or tested. It really means a conviction. That this is profitable to prove or give you a conviction of the truth of God. By faith, we understand. By faith, when you read Hebrews 11, where does faith come from? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's not by hearing the word of God. Here's what that verse means. Faith comes by hearing. And the Bible is clear that if you don't want your heart to be hardened, then hear the voice of God. So how am I going to hear the voice of God? Hearing, the ability to hear, comes from the word of God. So what do you do when your faith struggles? What do you do when you're lacking a little bit? What do you do when, you're, when your convictions have weakened? You're not sure what's true. Go back to what is profitable for conviction. Go back to the word of God. Go back to the word of God. It's profitable for doctrine. It's 
profitable really for confidence or conviction of faith. And it's profitable for correction. It's restoration to an upright or right state, improvement of life or character, correction. (laughs) This is the one I want to sit on for a while. When was the last time the word of God corrected you? You're reading in it and the spirit of God touched something in you and said, this needs to straighten up. Years ago, first church that we pastored, I was preaching through James, and in James chapter 4, it talks about the wisdom that is from above, is first pure, then peaceable, easy to be entreated, and gives a list of qualities, and I was praying over those. How do I teach those? What does that mean? How do I make them understandable? And God, I'm just telling you, it was a supernatural moment for me, and God said, are you, and took me through those one at a time. And some I had to say yes to, and some I had to say no to. Yeah, I, that's not who I am. And I had to repent. And that sermon started with my repentance of what I saw in my life that needed to straighten up. If you are not, please, I'm not trying to be mean. But if you are not being corrected by the word of God, you have not put value in the word of God. Because what it does is comes to give you what you believe. It comes to give you conviction of truth. And it comes to correct you where you're bent. And I've been at this long enough to know that people don't like to be corrected. Oh, pastor, I do. Let's give it a whirl. It ain't going to be a good one that ends well. Where was the last time and in what manner did you see something in the word of God that you realized you had to bring in conformity? It's good for doctrine. It's good for reproof, for correction. And then instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect thoroughly equipped to every good work. So how do you know if the word of God is of value to you, then it is equipping you to do something for the kingdom. I, I laugh the way we talk about sports. If you ever listened, and some of you do this, I, I, I really try not to. Um... So whatever team you root for, your favorite team, whoever that is, and I will, I will hold myself in check right now. Someone pointed out to me that the defense of the University of Iowa was sparkling yesterday. Yeah, it was because they didn't play. So whoever your team is, when the game is played and you talk about it afterwards and you say something like this, Boy, we played a great game last night. So then I want to ask, were you coaching? Were you on the line? Were you, and we get so wrapped up in the identity of the team that we somehow think we're part of it. How many know what I'm saying? 
when I was pastoring in, in Old Wine, it was in the Hayden Fry era when they were actually winning games. And if Iowa lost on Saturday, we just about had to have a funeral on Sunday. People came in so depressed. I mean, our faith can't be in football. Hallelujah. It can't be there. And you aren't part of that team. Do you know how I know? Because you don't help the team by sitting on the couch eating popcorn and drinking a soda. <laughs> Who are the we that won the game? or lost it, the coaches and the people on the field. And I'm telling you that the kingdom isn't based on sitting in a Sunday service, responding to worship in the word. It's intended that you do something for the kingdom. How do you find out what that is? You find it out by getting in the game. Get to be part of that and let the word of God begin to equip you to do what he's called you to do. It'll shape you. That's how I know you value the word of God. If it's profitable nature is being profitable in you, it will make you complete, perfect. It's the, it's the fuel of spiritual growth. And it fuels you, listen to this, not to be a philosophical giant, but to engage you in good works. Last, wow, it should only be about 945 right now. This one goes a little quicker because if you understand the other two, third, the word of God is the force of our public proclamations. It's the force of our public proclamations. Now, understand me, life and death is in the power of the tongue and what you say matters. And people wear me out that are always complaining about something. How many know what I'm saying? Like, well, it's bad, gonna get worse. I was a little guilty of that this morning. I repent publicly. Someone came up and said, it's cold outside. And I said, hang on, it's gonna get colder. I didn't mean to speak death, but you can speak. It's going to be 70s all through December, January, and February, and you're going to be profoundly disappointed. I understand there's power in our words, but there's only power in our words when they're anchored to what the word of God says. That's where the power is. It's not about what you confess, it's what he has declared. And your confession needs to be what he has already said. Let those words come out of your mouth. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead It is appearing in his kingdom. We will all give an account to God. We will all stand before him. And so what comes out of our mouth needs to be honoring him because in verse two, we're called to preach, not our opinions, not our convictions, to do what? To preach the word. Every year at district council, there's another class of ordained ministers that move forward in God's calling. And the most powerful point of the night is when the presbyter takes the candidate's Bible and the superintendent reads the charge. And when he says to them, preach the word, and the superintendent or, I mean, the, the presbyter hands the Bible to the candidate, there's a Holy Spirit anointing every time that fills that room. But preaching the word is not my, uh, my uh, responsibility. It's a responsibility of all of us. What does preaching the word mean? It is the public proclamation of the gospel and the public proclamation of the gospel needs to be this is what the word of the Lord says to us today and that's what this generation needs to 
hear. They, need, they don't need to hear more of our politics, or our positions, or our ideas, or our opinions, but simply declaring what the Word of God says. And you can be against transgenderism, as I am, but your proclamation needs to be in the beginning. God created them. Male and female created he them. It's anchored to what the Word of God says. Let your proclamation, the power, the force, the energy of your proclamation needs to be the word of God. And for that to happen, verse two, you need to be prepared in season and out of season. You cannot proclaim the word of God without preparing to proclaim the word of God. Pastor Nathan, if you'd come. Let me wrap it up this way. Number one, it's the foundation of our salvation. It's the fuel of our spiritual growth. It's the force of public proclamation. So after all of that, are you with me? I, this is, I did all this to get to this. All that was introduction. Here's the message. After he says all that about the word of God, I want you to listen, please. Listen carefully to what Paul says to Timothy. Why does this matter? What he says next is this. As you go into chapter four, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, do all the, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Why does it matter? Because there's a time coming when the church will not endure sound doctrine, but will find teachers that will say what they want to hear. And I'll hang up my skates before I'll be that guy. How many hear what I'm saying? And my call to you is, don't do that. Don't look for someone to tell you what you already want to hear. Take time to let the word of God say what God wants you to hear. And my call this morning is in an era of excess and deception and false teaching that we will be strong in our commitment, not only to know the word of God, but to engage it and interact with it because your salvation, your spiritual growth and the message to this world all has to be anchored to this book. Let's stand together and ask God to put a hunger in us to engage the word of God.
so much. Thank you for being here. And again, thanks for your faithful giving, all the things you're doing to help us. We so greatly appreciate. So turn, greet someone and uh, quote a scripture to him. <laughs> Blessings. <laughs> <laughs> 